0: Is the truth hidden in plain sight? Are we so far off that uh, we have no, no scope of like the actual reality of
1: world politics? That's such a good question, man. It's such a good question. And that we could go into that for hours, right? But my answer, my short answer is yes, the truth is absolutely in plain sight. The challenge is, we've all been conditioned to not trust what we see in plain sight. Yeah. So we're always looking for something that isn't there. So then when you look for the thing that isn't there, people start to serve you things that are couched as secrets. And then you start to believe these things that are couched as secrets, right? So a great example is the Ukraine war, right? Why are we fighting a war in Ukraine? Why are we funding and backing the Ukrainians in their fight and their resistance of Russia, right? Well, like, what do you think is the reason? Why does the average American think we're in that war? We're
0: hiding something that's there.
1: I mean, do you think the average person thinks we're hiding something? I don't think the average person has a concept yeah. of why or what is going on. Yeah. That's it right there. Yeah. The average person doesn't even know why. Yeah. So because it, it's in plain sight while, why we are there, but people don't trust what they see in plain sight, so they're looking for some other explanation. The thing that's in plain sight is that Russia is our enemy Somebody else is fighting our enemy. That's obvious, right? Yeah, that's obvious to the person in plain sight In plain sight. yeah. But nobody, nobody thinks of it that way. So when we don't know why we're doing it, then that leaves space for the media to come in and populate that for us. I mean, it's around two of the Afghan war, basically. Right. So like liberal media comes in and says we're in this war to protect democracy because there's a secret war against democracy. There's no secret war. There's a very open war against democracy. <laughs> it's been going on for a while. Yeah. Yes. And then the conservative media comes in and the conservative media comes in and they're like, oh, we're doing this because it's a distraction from COVID. We're doing this because it, you know, Biden's got failing, uh, failing approval ratings and it's just a distraction for the American people. Like, yes, of course, any president that has bad pure approval ratings always seeks to distract the American people. Like, that's not a new M.O., We saw that with obama we saw that with trump we're seeing it with biden yeah so but people people stick to these narratives because they're conveniently contrary to what's obvious instead of just focusing on what's obvious what's obvious ukrainians die russians die americans live that's a win for us guys like that's that is straight out of the military doctrinal handbook let them duke it out and we sit back bingo send them some money and Yep. What do we do in business between competitors? Yeah. Watch our competitors. Watch when, when they, that's, you see it in, you see it in film all the time, right? Why is it that when one person makes a pirate movie, somebody else also seems to make a pirate movie. When one person makes a superhero movie, somebody else makes a superhero Because they understand that they can feed off the frenzy. Mm-hmm. You see this everywhere. It's not an espionage only tactic. The only difference is espionage teaches you to have the confidence to call it what it is, even though, Everybody around you looks at you like, no, that's too obvious. Like, it's- but it is the obvious. <laughs> the obvious causes is that Russia so- loses
0: resources, Ukraine <laughs> loses lives, and we, we lose what learn. we spend. We learn yeah.
2: from them.
1: We learn and we practice. And what are we yeah. practicing for?
2: Uh, strategic, uh, moving equipment around all, all over the, the world. That's oh, not Russia. Uh, uh... You'll be okay. That's <laughs>
1: <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> uh, good. But you can see it. Our future <laughs> conflict like the next global competitor that poses a threat to us is China anything if we can move equipment money and people to Ukraine in a 48 hour period we can move it to China or Taiwan (laughs) wherever we need it to go bingo that's the whole reason America keeps going to war right did we really care about the Taliban Afghanistan of course not but It's an excellent place for us to make sure our troops are always the top trained, the best equipped and have the most real world experience deploying, fighting, creating mobile bases, you know, rotating through the system. Otherwise, we end up having a military like Taiwan's military. Like Taiwan has compulsory service for four months. So everybody has to be a soldier for four months. What the heck does that get you? It, it All it is is, Not a, is a mark on a checklist that says you did your compulsory service and now you can go be a civilian. So they, their approach to military pride and military service is completely different than us. In Taiwan, it's, you're a joke if you're a soldier, right? In Taiwan, nobody becomes a professional military officer. Like They're the least prepared for an actual assault on their island because culturally, nobody wants to be a military. Nobody's a proud veteran because everybody's a forced veteran it's completely different than what we have here with an all volunteers force when
0: we bailed out of afghanistan we left all that equipment behind you can argue both sides of the fence what do you think there's a threat with leaving all of that behind or
1: there's always like um, this is where it's a little bit embarrassing i mean it's definitely embarrassing to be former military and former cia and think about what happened in afghanistan but it's also embarrassing to be an american and see what happened in Afghanistan, because what we did in Afghanistan in 2022, it's the same thing we did in Afghanistan in like 1985, when we left, all the equipment that we had given the Taliban, right, the uh, the Mujahideen yeah. to fight against the Russians. We basically just waited 20 reflective. years and did it, or waited 40 years and did it again, right? It was a it was a sequel, and we didn't learn the first time. So now the unfortunately, what I see when I see Ukraine. History repeating itself. So. what the hell are we going to do, guys? If Ukraine, why do we if turn you, our if, allies into our enemies? So that's a, another great question. Let me wrap up one idea yeah, before yeah, we jump into that. <laughs> yeah, because because the, the question that kind of haunts me is what happens in 20 years with all the modern day technology that we sent to Ukraine, when that's in Ukraine, and Ukraine either belongs to Russians, or Ukrainians but not Americans. They have all the American equipment. What are they gonna do with it?
0: And the training how to use it.
1: So it's the exact same thing that we did with the Mujahideen. It fits an MO, you know, what we've done in all sorts of different places. Now, I find your question to be super interesting because why do we turn allies into enemies? I feel like we have a history. We do.
0: a, a, A very reputable history of taking somebody that we put in power or used as an ally and then turning them into an enemy in the long run.
1: What happened? You just answered your own question. Yeah. What you just answered your own question. Our MO since World War II and like, this is the American MO. Our MO is to create relationships where the other person is dependent on us. So we do that on a geopolitical scale too. We create relationships where the other country becomes dependent on us. So when they're, when they're lacking in resources or when they're lacking in security, they're very happy to come in and be partners with us. Like, what, what do we do with Japan, right? We'll be your nuclear umbrella, so you don't have to invest in your military. What did we do with NATO? We'll be the primary, pr- like the primary military development engine. We'll sell you our weapons at a discount. What do we do with the Middle East? We'll develop all modern day technology and modern day weaponry, and we'll sell it to you at a discount so that you don't have to spend your money on military tech, you can spend it on refining oil, you can spend it on on social welfare programs, you can spend it on manufacturing. So then when all these countries are broke out of World War II, they they're like, hell yes, because that's what we need to do. We need to rebuild the Germans destroyed most of Europe, right, the Jap, most of Japan was destroyed by us. So they needed to rebuild. So they were happy to let us come in as their umbrella. Fast forward 70 years. And now they're like, we're totally dependent on the United States. And that sucks. And that's what makes it so that your allies become your enemies. Because they're like, you fucking, you tricked us. (laughs) You used us, and you kept us dependent on you, and we don't like that. But we can't do anything about it, so now we're stuck. That exact question defines where we are right now geopolitically between the United States and China. China was one of our closest allies during World War II. Of course. We saved their ass. Right. 1949, they had their Maoist uprising. That's when the nationalists fled to Taiwan and Taiwan became a nationalist democratic stronghold, but the rest of mainland China fell to communism, right? China in 2015 basically woke up to the fact that they're dependent on the United States for all things technological. Semiconductor design, high-tech creation, innovative technologies all come from the West. They weren't coming from China. So that meant that if China wanted to modernize into the industrial intelligent digital era, they were always going to be dependent on us. So they set in motion their own 2025 plan to create indigenous capabilities for, for, uh, electric vehicles, smart energy, uh, you know, new, technology, healthcare technology, military technology, whatever, they put all that in motion. And that's in 2015. That's essentially what started the trade war between Trump and China, because once they tried to separate themselves from us, we would lose that marketplace, Well, we need that market because guess what our economy is based on? Exporting high technology. They were trying to separate themselves from our primary exporting needs. So we put we slapped the trade war on them. They slapped the trade war right back. And that's what's been happening ever since. The whole conflict right now is not about Taiwan. The conflict is about China trying to become an independent technological nation that's a competitor in the marketplace to the United States. The United States doesn't want that. What's frustrating is that the rest of the world does. South Korea wants an alternative. Germany wants an alternative. France wants an alternative. That's why you see these countries Yeah cooperating with China even though they're American allies because they realize if there's a monopoly worldwide and only one country provides all high technology, they'll always be dependent on us, right? Taiwan makes the semiconductors. We design the semiconductors, right? South Korea manufactures memory chips. We design memory chips. You see how it, like, yeah, so it's it, that's the true what's in plain sight that's the true conflict: making the hardware and owning the patent to the to the the technology of it. Yep, and this is um, what happens in business all the time, right? You've got the guy on the ground level, the guy on the floor who's actually putting the shit together, yeah. and he's like, I get abused, I get used, I get called in late hours, my paycheck gets cut, but the boss is the one with all the business relationships. So if I leave the company, like, do I start my own thing? Do I stay in? It's it's like it's the conundrum that we're all so familiar with
0: obviously we have informational superiority and have since the end of world war 2 right is there a threat to us um uh, is there a real threat to us losing that in any type of time frame are they nervous is that something that you see that is like at risk as things exceedingly get faster and
1: faster and you're exactly right like that is the driving factor of american tensions right now we do not so obviously have informational superiority anymore we've lost it we've lost it significantly since the start of the iraq afghanistan war so if you think back to 2001 9 11 right when 9 11 happened the united states and the west mobilized against what threat terrorism Mm. did china mobilize against terrorism no So what did they do for the 20 years that we were fighting a war in Afghanistan, Iraq? They learned and stacked information and made us dependent on them. Correct. They created new technologies. They got into the telecommunication industry. They got into the electric vehicle. They got into raw materials. They got into rare earths. They started creating an an entire global supply chain that traversed through China. When did we all wake up to that? then COVID.
0: Yeah, recently.
1: (laughs) COVID basically brought the whole world to its knees, not because COVID was deadly and dangerous like everybody was afraid of. It wasn't a super virus. It was a nasty virus, but not a super virus. But it crippled the whole world because it shut China down. And everybody's fucking supply chain went through China. And that was when we finally looked under the skirt and saw that it's like the surprise. And that's why you've seen people diversifying their supply chain since then. Had COVID never happened, we'd still be reliant holy shit we'd still be in the dark china would still be just eating our lunch in terms of informational superiority because like yes apple and and the the apple empire has done fantastic things to make american technology american digital technology available worldwide but so has huawei huawei is a chinese alternative arguably Huawei is superior in terms of sales to Apple, not because the quality of the product is better, but because they can reach the numbers. more people. Yeah, WeChat. Like,
0: obviously, Elon's play on Twitter is WeChat, right? That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. And he wanted a WeChat. That's he said I... that we don't have WeChat. He knows from Tesla being in China. He knows that WeChat is far superior to everything there. So, yeah, I mean, we're in the dark about things in Chinese culture, obviously there's things that are there that we don't have access to. And we're not even aware
1: that we're 10 years behind. But realistically, we are right. And that's where your informational superiority comes from, right? Yeah. While we spent 20 years studying terrorists, China spent 20 years studying us. Now, we're like, we are every every American would agree with what you just said. Yeah, we, now we're, we don't know shit about Chinese culture. Stop worrying about the guys in the caves and worry about the guys in the buildings. Yep, and (laughs) they've been studying us for 20 years and we know dick all about them. Wow. They speak English. Anybody here speak Chinese? No, do. I forgot most of my Chinese, right?
0: Oh, you actually learned it. It's very rare. I mean, I think that we were enamored with their culture at a certain point in film and and, uh, through martial arts and food and things of that nature, but there has been a big disconnect to where, you know, we have the opinion that we rule the the arts, right? And through that, everything feeds to our culture and we feel like we have superiority. And then a Korean film like Parasite comes out of nowhere and changes our perception of who's really making
2: major motion pictures, right? Well, even with Bollywood, I think oh, yeah. they're that huge. That start. Yeah.
0: Then Korea. I've always been interested in foreign films, so it's just a way to, to circumvent the idea that
1: you know, we're, we are the best Uh, America. You know what I mean? Um, and you, it's funny. I mean, I love the fact that you use the term art because how long has art been in America only as long as America has been around. Yeah. Fucking art has been in China as long as China has been around. That's 5,000 plus years, right? Like they were creating scrolls with ink made out of pigeon blood Before long, documented history. Yeah, before George Washington was even a a naughty twinkle in his mommy's eye.
0: Right. Wow,
1: that's
0: a lot. uh, It's a lot to take in.
2: And uh, what's your take on Iran and in the Middle East as far as the regime there? That's that's
1: interesting, right? A
2: whole other, and people don't talk about it. Yeah.
1: So here's here's my take on on essentially, Iran and everything Iranian for the last probably five years. There are people who care about what's happening in Iran. And they care for usually some kind of personal reason, they either worked Iran, or they had a family member or something that or they're Iranian themselves, or they're Sunni or Shia Islam. Mm -hmm. And they understand the relationship there. So they all look towards Iran, hopeful that there's going to be some kind of regime change. So every time there's like, a public revolt, every time there's a public demonstration, every time there's like something that makes headlines, people are like, finally, revolution in Iran. Fuck no. If there's one thing Iran has learned how to do extremely well through multiple ayatollahs, it's to silence a revolution with violence and immediacy to make sure that they send a message to everybody else out there who's thinking about revolt. And that's the unfortunate truth about Iran. Iran is actually a powerhouse in the Middle East because they're the agricultural fruit basket of the Middle East. Like their ultimate goal is to basically make make Shia law the law of the what they call the the crescent moon, right? The entire region that enc- encapsulates the Gulf
2: like the GCC.
1: Yeah, right? What's now the GCC, which is, you know, Sunni led, they want it to be Shia led and to build this empire, this caliphate. That's their goal. But there's even though they're all Muslim, they still have this divide over what kind of Muslim they are. Yeah, but they're they have the opportunity of being the breadbasket for all of the GCC. And the food that comes out of Iran is amazing. I lived in Abu Dhabi. I lived in UAE. Every export that was fresh food came from Iran. Iran is technically an enemy of the UAE and an enemy of the United States, right? An enemy of of Saudi Arabia, an enemy of Oman, an enemy of of you name it. They're feeding all. But they're feeding everybody. So nobody can really cut themselves off from Iran. So that means Iran will always have cash flow. Iran will always have you know, trade power. They'll always have negotiating leverage. So they're not going to have any kind of major regime change anytime soon unless basically another U- Ukraine happens where some completely low probability event occurs and everything falls in that same direction, right? The reason everybody was so wrong about the Russia-Ukraine response was because of the incredibly low likelihood that what happened would happen. Nobody expected a small force in Ukraine to bond together and then actually defeat an initial invasion. They expected them to fracture, collapse, like they saw in Georgia before that. So the same thing kind of exists in Iran. Could it happen? Yes, but it's low probability. So for the, when, when, people with money or people with power look at a global situation, they gamble on probabilities. They don't gamble on, nobody takes the lowest uh, probability horse and puts all their money on that. Yeah. They diversify. Right.
0: When they were sending you to all these different countries, did they send you with a weapon, or you on your own?
1: So uh, uh, this is another one of those things that media gets wrong. If, if you're undercover and you're trying to blend in, in Europe, in a socialist country, in the Middle East, you can't be the only fucking guy carrying a gun. You're never gonna blend in. If you get arrested for like, think about Singapore. You cross the street without being on a crosswalk. There's a police officer there to literally incarcerate you.
2: Really? Yeah. Yeah. Can't even. That's super you can't safe there. Yeah. You, you can't, can't do anything spit there. On the
1: street, you can't yeah. spit out your gum. Like you can't litter. If they have, they have such excellent police presence and CCTV presence that they will catch you and they will hold you accountable for your crime they execute for cannabis crimes damn yeah and this is Singapore this is like a world leader in the economic world yeah. right so you can't like you can't spit on the sidewalk and have a nine millimeter
0: in your concealed
1: backpack. when a Singaporean police officer comes up to you right so we don't travel with weapons we travel with with self defense tools, tools that we can use to protect ourselves from petty crime and crimes of opportunity, but they're all the types of tools that would be internationally acceptable. So, they're not sexy weapons, right? Personal alarms, rape whistles, like keychains that are a little bit extra firm that we can learn to use to like, you know, hit a hit a vulnerable spot in the throat, but it's not obvious stuff. And it's definitely not stuff that makes you feel like a badass when you go and you get issued your fucking rape whistle. So, there, there is no, no Jason Bourne's Yeah. I mean, there, there is the potential for a Jason Bourne, but it's not coming from CIA. It's coming from army, special forces, black ops, shields, shields. different guys, completely different guys, guys that different missions. Yeah. Guys that are bred to be machines with the tolerance to take on pain and stress that, that your high performers can't take on
0: our idea of intelligence, the field itself is skewed by Hollywood and doesn't really exist, huh? Yeah. That's not their game plan.
1: That's not, because it doesn't work, right? It's not not that, yeah. If we were to live a life that was entertaining, it would draw attention. The whole idea behind a clandestine operation is not to draw attention. It's intelligence.
0: You just want to collect as much as possible.
1: Correct. That's how you are a professional intelligence officer.
2: Have you had any close calls?
1: Yes. So... The closest call I had is something that is currently under review with CIA. Um, we are in the process of writing, my wife was also former CIA, like I said, my wife and I were part of a very sensitive operation at a key time in American history. And we're trying to get that those details cleared so that we can write a memoir about our story. We're about 80% there. The details are still in, in limbo with CIA, but we've got them documented and written out like in a, in a manuscript type of format so we're in the process of getting there that was the closest call that we had and that almost had me arrested and incarcerated in a foreign country which would have been like it would have completely changed my life so i'm very glad that that didn't happen my wife was my my essentially my mission manager so i was there at her direction
2: did you upset her that morning (laughs) (laughs) did you do something wrong
1: (laughs) yeah no thankfully i would have done something wrong if i would have gotten caught yeah Yeah. but that's that's the closest call that we've had but outside of that i mean you got. There's weird close calls that happen more often than you would think, right? Like car accidents that happen that you like, you're two cars away from a massive car accident. If normally you would you would want to stop and like be an eyewitness, that's not what we're trained to do. Like we're trained to like dodge left, dodge right, and then keep driving. I think in L.A. we're trained the same. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, kind (laughs) of just keeps going like they didn't see anything, right?
0: (laughs) Do they teach you to escape and evade if you get? held up at some point?
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. So there's multiple types of evasion and escape procedures, right? Most people think of seer or Siri, they think of like military style survival, escape, resistance, uh, and evasion. That's what you would do in like a, a jungle or a, uh, austere circumstance, right? But when you're in an urban environment, all the rules of evasion and escape completely change. So we have to go through urban training, we have to go through austere training, we have to go through long term training, we have to go short term training, there's self evasion and self escape. When you self rescue, essentially, you cross a border yourself or you, you know, you procure, which is the nice way of saying steal. you procure materials, right, phones, uh, weapons, money, so that you can facilitate your own escape. That's one type of evasion. And then there's, of course, the type of the kind of evasion where you're living off of fucking berries and rabbits in the woods. What about if like you're handcuffed or zip tied or when that when that kind of thing happens, you're in a different sort of mode. Now you're in what we call resistance mode. So you're countering interrogation or you're resisting interrogation in a way that allows your captor to think that you're compliant because you're looking for them to release you from whatever it is. Whatever it is that's constricting you. Because you can't do anything if you're constricted. So that's a it's a concept that we call ten percent better it's not a CIA only concept like that's that's a concept that applies to multiple special operations groups all over the world, right? We always want to make our situation 10% better when you're in those dire conditions. So if compliance makes you 10% better, then you comply. And then once you have your hands free, or once you have food or once you have light, then you're 10% better. And you can move on to the next step of 10% better. Nice.
0: Had something else, but let you guys go I love well, that. I, I seen you talk about some supernatural stuff sometime <laughs> yeah seen a few videos on that how are your? what are your feelings on uh the current uh climate and that in that regard with these you know Pentagon and and I mean not Pentagon but these uh like uh Senate hearings and stuff of that nature yeah I mean you're right about Pentagon too yeah obviously right for
1: sure there's Senate hearings and intelligence yeah. committee hearings but those are I mean the Pentagon is who's being tasked to research these things it's really interesting right because 10 years ago none of this stuff was taken seriously 10 years ago if you talked about ufos or aliens or paranormal stuff they'd laugh at you. they'd laugh at you right that created this um stigma that made it so that when people did see legitimate events they didn't report them like your military pilots your your naval analysts your radar people if they saw an anomaly they might like tap the guy on the shoulder and be like, did you see this thing? But they would never make a formal report because then they'd fall under the stigma and their career would be tanked. Well, fast forward to 2021, and now we have enough mounting data that the Senate Intelligence Committee is like, the the, the House is like, we want to understand what's happening. And when they went around and they asked CIA and DIA and FBI and NSA, what's happening? Nobody had an answer. Because everybody was basically like, well, we've never taken it seriously and the congress who represents the american people was like well take this shit seriously and give us some answers and they gave money and they gave time usually when the government gives you money and time you're supposed to produce something a year later what they produced was nothing right we don't have enough information we have the scattered reporting we have this we have that and now you're talking about Iran is on the rise, China is on the rise, Russia was on the rise, terrorism was still not solved. So you've got these very real geopolitical threats, and nobody could confirm or refute whether these UFOs, UAPs, etc., were phenomenon that could be explained or advanced foreign tech.
2: But you're also on a show, I think. I, I don't know, Correct. History Channel or Discovery mm-hmm. Channel. That it's paranormal activities that you guys go. Yeah, it's. It, it's have you seen anything or? Yeah. <laughs> discovered anything on that?
1: So the show is on History Channel. It's called Beyond Skinwalker Ranch, uh, and it doesn't necessarily explore paranormal activity. It explores what is scientifically termed as high strangeness phenomenon that are anomalous but measurable. So things that that don't normally happen, but are clearly happening because you can measure the anomaly itself. That's what's high strangeness, right? So uh, essentially, you have a the the TV show, it's called the TV show. It's really a documentary effort. It's an actual live investigation, where the funding source, which is a gentleman named Brandon Fugle in Skinwalker Ranch in Utah, mm-hmm. he's the primary investor in the entire investigation. He's granted permission to History Channel to produce a consumable format show based off of the investigation itself. Right. And then, of course, from that, the investigation gets additional funds. It gets funds from advertisers. It gets funds from whatever. But it's different than your typical reality show because it's not entertainment. It's documented science, right? What they call frontier science. So that's the show that we're on. We just finished filming in February and it went live this summer. um, And it was absolutely wild wild experience. I saw things I had never seen before. I saw data do things that data shouldn't do radio signals where there shouldn't be radio signals, magnetic variances that had no explanation. And then we started seeing correlative data, meaning we're in Massachusetts, for one thing, we're in Arizona, for a different thing, we're in Colorado for a third thing, and they all three have the same anomaly. Quantum physics. Or, so quantum physics is one idea that we've been throwing around. Mm. You know, Another idea is that there's some kind of uh, geological con- continuity between the three locations. Mm-hmm. So we've all been thinking like, oh, uh, Nevada is just a place where aliens go. Is that really the case? Or is there some geological factor that makes Nevada attractive for some sort of other intelligent life form? Right? Is it because they have... the crust of the earth is thinner there and more energy escapes from the core. Is it because they have a high concentration of certain minerals, right? Like whatever else it might be, those are things we can measure. So when you can measure higher quartz and uranium material deposits in three different city or three different different states across the country, and all three of those locations also have high strangeness, now you've got data that you can correlate together. It's not just people guessing anymore. Yeah, that's really cool. Where is Skinwalker Ranch in Utah? There's a little city called Vernal. Uh-huh. Vernal's about three hours east of Salt Lake City. Okay. Yeah, it's out there by, what is it, Dinosaur National Monument. Uh huh. So the little the city's there, Skinwalker Ranch is right outside of the uh, Vernal City limits. So is this something that just uh, um,
0: the family and, and people that worked the ranch had been experiencing over a long period of time, just high anomaly of like, creepy stuff,
1: basically? No. So the actual place where it all started was through a government contractor. Oh. So back in the early 2000s, uh, a, a guy named Robert Bigelow, who ran an aerospace research and development firm on behalf of and, and that served the intelligence community, the US Air Force, etc, cetera, at et cetera, et cetera, NASA, uh, he started investing in various locations around the country that were also areas that had this strange phenomenon. So whenever you are in business, you don't make an investment unless you're expecting a return. So the question became, why is he making all these investments? What is he researching? He has an aerospace defense firm. What is he trying to find? Because we know who his customer is. When you follow the Robert Bigelow story, what you see is like, here's a guy who's an entrepreneur who creates a firm and serves the military. Then he starts to invest in these properties. And his firm gets larger and his contracts get larger and he makes more money. That suggests he found something or he was close to finding something, right? And then you kind of see him carrying out these classified surveys and classified studies that were considered classified because they were of national security interest to his client. And now he has proprietary rights to them and or the federal government has the ability to classify them so the public doesn't get to know about them. That's essentially how it all started. Combining that with general civilians in the area who also see strange things, lights in the sky, orbs, UFO sightings, uh, thermal anomalies, uh, magnetic anomalies, like silly stuff, dude, even stuff as simple as like, people's batteries would just run out faster than any other battery would ever run out. Like, if it's you to imagine training. Yeah, like, why is what energy field exists here? That's creating this anomaly with batteries? Wow. it's all that kind of simple stuff that when you track it in multiple locations you, you got to start scratching your head like how is it that this is happening in you know three places across the u.s but not every place across the u.s uh and around the world probably as well correct that's where we're hoping to take the investigation in the next few stages so we recently got greenlit for additional funding this year so i'll actually start the next round of investigations in september
0: that's really cool
1: and they're deciding history Channel is in negotiations again with the founding partner for the for the investigation itself Brendan Fugel. they're finalizing how much the documentary team will be able to be part of that investigation. I love stuff like that. And what (laughs) countries
2: are you not allowed to go into?
1: So that's still a classified (laughs) answer, yeah. That there are countries I'm not allowed to go into, and then there's countries that I don't trust to protect me. So the countries that I will personally not go to, I will not go to Russia, I won't go to Cuba, I won't go to China, I want to go to Taiwan, but it's just not a good idea, right? For you personally- for for me for me personally for sure yeah uh for the average american citizen the countries that i just listed are also all on the strongly recommend against travel list yeah with the u.s department of state for any american yeah since i'm
0: brown am i going to be okay in
1: cuba yeah (laughs) you get yeah cuba is a safer place for for especially for anybody who has latino background Mm -hmm. um but and it'd be a super cool place to see i just know that the cubans are really close with all the bad guys of the world so i just wonder why
2: you can't go to russia I mean, <laughs> it's not like yeah. they would want to take an american cia <laughs> operative yeah oh, oh. Well, put them on screen and
0: yeah um is there anywhere that people in america frequent that they probably shouldn't be traveling to
1: or vacationing in yeah so that's a great question so the the answer that i would say is i don't know if it'll surprise you or not but the dominican republic DR. yeah a lot of people go there a lot of people go there thailand mm-hmm, thailand a lot of people go there right um um, sure, wait, not, what's, not, yeah, what's not a not safe to about Thailand? Yeah, so I wouldn't go to. I'm, I wouldn't yeah. go to the DR. I wouldn't recommend Americans travel to the Dominican Republic. I wouldn't recommend they travel to Thailand. I wouldn't recommend they travel to uh, uh, Georgia. Um, I think those are probably the three primary places I wouldn't by recommend Turkey? they travel
2: to Cuba. Turkey's Turkey's, Turkey's by, interesting. No, by Georgia. Georgia by Turkey. Yeah, Georgia. Georgia. Yeah, yeah. I like,
1: yeah, mean,
2: Georgia.
0: Georgia. Mm-hmm. Correct. Turkey wasn't bad. No, yeah, Georgia, Turkey's not bad. Georgia. Turkey, I think, is fine.
1: The, Why the re- no DR. So the reason I, I recommend against those is because of the reason so many people go there and the way that you travel there. So for example, in the Dominican Republic, nobody goes there to explore the DR. Why do you go to the DR? You go there to go to your and, resort and to yeah. party. Yeah, I don't leave the resort. But yeah, you don't leave you the don't resort. have to. Yeah, you don't have to. And most people don't. So what that does is it makes you a predictable confined target. So now Like, normally, let's just talk about cybercrime, innocent enough, right? Some fucking dude in, in, uh, you name it, Belarus or Belgium or who knows where, some cyber hacker somewhere wants to find a a plentiful pool of targets, just like any good businessman wants to find recurring leads. Whereas if he goes and looks at the DR... He can basically just figure out how to hack into 10 different systems. Honestly, he probably just has to figure out how to hack into like two different points of service systems. And those are the same two systems used on every resort. Yeah. And now he basically has an unlimited wellspring of credit card information, passport information, whatever he wants to get his hands on. Do you not log into Wi-Fi? I do log into Wi-Fi. I usually try to log in through like a VPN or some kind of you know service that works that way. But when I when I have the option i use my own international plan to work off of cellular instead but that's why the dr is dangerous because it's so simple to target somebody and the thing that americans often forget is that we're the fucking richest people in the planet
0: yeah we don't we don't even the 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 common man even or the woman, poor
1: even a poor yeah. american is filthy rich compared to a poor person anywhere else yeah so if you had the choice of who you were going to rob it's not you're not going to spend your time trying to figure out how to hack some French person's credit card. You'll be like, "Fucking, I'm just going straight for American credit cards. That's it.
2: Yeah. What about Thailand? When well, you were saying Thailand, what's the threat there?
1: So the threat in Thailand is that Thailand is truly a playground for everybody, right? Not many people realize this. Thailand is the only country in Southeast Asia that was never colonized. So think about that for a second the portuguese were colonizing, the spanish were colonizing, the french were colonizing, the british were colonizing, everybody was how in the hell did thailand not get colonized? How does a country in the center of southeast asia with trade routes on both sides and massive yeah. coastline? How does that place go without getting colonized? There's a reason why it didn't. Because it learned very early on that it could negotiate with everybody. So it basically made it so anybody could do anything in thailand how, how would you define Thailand right now? Anybody can do anything. You wanna break a law? People go to Thailand to do that. You wanna hide money? Go to Thailand. You wanna party like crazy? Go to Thailand. Wait, why would you hide money? Yeah. I... The money one threw me for a loop just. Yeah. <laughs> why would you wanna hide money? Well, no, how, in Thailand. How can you hide money in Thailand, I guess is the mm-hmm. question. Un- unmarked, like bank accounts don't require any kind of ID. Like you can, you can literally take, it's the same thing as offshoring your bank account in the Caribbean. Right? You can actually transfer money through multiple banking systems and Thailand won't register the transaction. So like you can HSBC, the Chinese bank, floods lots of money to and from Thailand. It's the same kind of thing that happens in Dubai, right? You, they have a financial system there that's, that's privacy oriented, which really means they're not going to tell anybody what you're doing there. So that's what makes Thailand dangerous is that it's, an, it's a playground for everybody. So you might go there to have innocent fun. That doesn't mean everybody else is there to have innocent fun. And you're rubbing shoulders with dangerous people, you're rub- and you're and you're making yourself a target. And then on top of that, Thailand is so strategically valuable that every foreign intel service in the world is there. Is there? They're like Washington D.C., mm-hmm. right? Wow, well, never. Exactly. About a
0: million years that I think does make sense because it's a it's a. It's an exotic travel destination that everybody frequents.
1: It's what we technically... From all over the
0: world. And you would never think about, yo, what's this dude from you Deutschland or
2: anywhere a else lot of here for? <laughs> you just pissed off a lot of military <laughs> covers
1: in Thailand. That's, that's the way it works. And what's interesting is in the military, you actually, it's hard to get permission to go to Thailand. Wow. Yep. So it's what we call, technically, we call it a permissive environment. There's different types of operating environments. There's hostile environments. There's permissive environments. There's net neutral environments. So a a permissive environment is an area where, like, fucking anything goes. And, like, no, you can expect nothing bad will happen to you. Like You You can buy your way out of anything, then. Yeah, you can buy your way out of anything. You can fight your way out of anything. The emergency services response is slow. Like, the police is slow to respond. Like, that's why Thailand is also one of the only places in the world that has multiple nonviolent coups. Like they've had like seven coups in 10 years, right? Well, yeah, yeah, because everything's so permissive that even the government itself doesn't fight back, right? The military rises up and says, we're in charge. And everybody's like, you're in charge. Wow. Make sure you don't upset the apple cart. (laughs)